0: Hi there. It's always good for us to come to Whitefields. We, we enjoy it very much. Uh, my wife and I, you know, like I said, we've known Pete, uh, both of us have known him for quite some time, and, and we were around, you know, even when you first got started here, so it's good for us always to come back, and we're really blessed by your fellowship. We're blessed by the fact that we get to partner with you, in our ministry in Hungary and uh, really you saw in the video that we have a good time at English camp but it really is a fruitful ministry we've been doing it now for six years and each year we see kids come to get to know the Lord we see baptisms afterwards this year too we baptize kids afterwards and and we started a youth group last year and this year we kinda restarted it because we have all new kids but we have kids come in, even unsaved kids come in every week on Saturdays and they come and they hear the word and they're, they're in fellowship with Christians and it really is kind of a kind of like a, a full-scale type of ministry that we do with these kids that we kinda share the gospel with them and, and incorporate in every part of their lives and we really do see these kids lives change and it's, it's a really big blessing to be part of it. The English Campus is just one of the ministries that we do over there, it's probably our biggest outreach main thing that we're doing as a movement in Hungary is planting churches. So a church that I pastor, I planted six, six and a half years ago, and just two months ago, our church branched out and started another church in a, in a town nearby. So we are really blessed to partner with Whitefields, and it's always a blessing for us to come and visit you whenever we're here in Colorado. So why don't we pray, and we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you as your people today. Lord, as your people whom you've you've called, whom you've redeemed by your blood. Lord, thank you that our story, our life story, is part of your grand story, Lord. And we want to bring you glory in the way that we live our lives. Lord, we want to bring fame to your name. We want to bring glory, Lord, that people would know you, that they would glorify your name in all the earth. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that as we turn to your word that you would encourage us, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and we pray that you'd do all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read today from Acts chapter 4. It says this, in Acts chapter 4, from verse 18, it says, so they called them and charged them, that is, the authorities called the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He says, we can't do anything else. We can't do anything but speak of that which we have seen and heard. If I were to ask you a question, if I were to ask you a question, what is the Bible? How, what would you say to that? Uh, I hope that we can all agree that the Bible is the Word of God, but if you had to describe like, what the Bible is, what would you say? How would you do that? If we were to go out on the street and ask people, what is the Bible, what do you think that most people would respond I think probably people would say something like the Bible is a collection of ancient writings that contain wisdom for helping us navigate life. Others might say that the Bible is a collection of laws or rules that one must keep in order to please God or to win God's favor. But, you know, also for many Christians, the Bible is the source of our worldview, right? It tells us how things should be, tells us why things are the way that they are, it tells us what God is like, and it tells us what's going to happen in the future. But I think one of the most important aspects of what the Bible is that we must see is that the Bible is essentially a story. It's a, it's a grand narrative. And it's not just a collection of random writings. There's a unity to it, um, it doesn't just give us some insight into God in like random stories and letters but what we see is that the Bible is a a grand narrative meaning that it has it's a it's a big story made up of a lot of little stories and there's this one overarching story that's carried on from beginning to end and that's what we call a grand narrative and that narrative that story that the Bible is it's the story of God's mission in this world to redeem that which has been corrupted by sin. The Bible, right, if you look at it as a whole, it really even is built up like a story, right? You're introduced in the first chapters to the ideal. This is God's ideal. Man in relationship with God, without sin, without shame, living in harmony with each other, even in harmony with nature. And then we're introduced to the conflict, right? The problem. Sin enters the world and it, and it ruins that ideal that we began with. Then we see, of course, the foreshadowing to the solution, to the, to the conclusion. God tells us what he's going to do to fix that problem. There in Genesis chapter 3, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, it's, it's uh, Genesis 3. Right there when man falls into sin, God declares what he's going to do to solve that problem. He says the seed of a woman will come, the Messiah, the Savior, and he will crush the head of Satan and thereby redeem the world from the curse of sin. And then we have character development, just like in any story, right? Throughout the Old Testament, we're introduced to who God is and who this Messiah will be, who's going to come. And we see symbolism used. We see foreshadowing of the sacrifice that he'll make. And again, like any story, because essentially every story, every movie that we watch that's built up like this, it's a reflection of this one grand story that's it's built in, it's hidden in our hearts. It's built into the very nature of who we are. We, we have this uh, as part of us. But we, we see this climax, right, finally. Jesus Christ, God is man, he comes to the world, makes the ultimate uh, sacrifice, the cross of Calvary, where where God takes the sin of mankind upon himself to provide the solution so we can be reconciled to him, so we can be forgiven, so we can have eternal life, so we can be redeemed. But again, the climax, obviously that's not the end of the story. Uh, The next thing that happens, right, the book of Acts, people go out, they must spread the message so people can believe, so it can become a reality in their life. And then we see the conclusion. We go from the book of Acts just straight to the conclusion, the end of all things. Satan is judged. An end is put to sin and to pain. What's interesting, of course, is that part of the story is left out. There's something that's missing. It's, it's a bit unfinished, you could say, because we go from spreading this good news until, and then all of a sudden we're at the end of the story. And the question is, how do we get from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation? That part of the story is not written down for us in the Bible. And the reason is because we are writing that story with our lives today. And that's what I want to talk about today that we are writing that story with our lives today. The book of Acts really has no conclusion because it continues on today with establishing churches, preaching the gospel, going out and proclaiming what Jesus did on the cross. And it's been said, of course, that every generation essentially writes their own chapter to the book of Acts. They tell the stories of how God has worked in their generation, the great things he's done, and the way that he's carried out his mission through them. That's God's story, and we are living in it. We are living in it, and we get to live in it. We get to live it out. Now, how amazing is that? Just think about it, that your story is part of God's story and the point when you put your faith in Jesus and you joined yourself to him your story became part of his grand story and as Christians of course because of that our goal is to live in a way that is faithful to God's story because we are part of it one of the main ways that God communicates to us in his word is also through stories through narrative that's interesting right because because you could say that if God really just wanted to give us instructions about what he's like or how to live life, uh, well, then he could have done that in a different format, right? Maybe like an instruction manual or a how-to book or a handbook. And, you know, there could be a chapter dedicated to marriage. Then we, wouldn't, then we would know everything we need to know about marriage from God's perspective. We wouldn't have to have all these Christian books all the time, you know, and have these Bible studies about Christian books. It would just be really clear. Let's turn to page 3,520 and there you can read all about marriage and just get it over with, you know? And uh, it would be in a how-to manual. It would be real clear and easy. There could be one chapter dedicated to the character of God, you know? And one chapter dedicated to end times. Then we wouldn't have to like split up all the time and have different churches based on, well, I think it's like that, and I think it's like this, and you know, we wouldn't have to discuss the nature of God or things like this, because it'd just all be written down for us, you know, how to treat our neighbors. They could have all kinds of cool chapters, but that's not how God chose to speak to us. The main way that he chose to speak to us is through stories, and what that means is that stories are important, they're important to God. The Bible is full of stories. It's essentially one grand story made up of a lot of little stories, and one of the great things about stories is that they are real, right? They go beyond hypothetical, they go beyond theoretical, and they tell real stories of real people, and they tell the story of how the living God broke into their lives and changed things. Jesus communicated in stories. Essentially, the Gospels themselves don't just tell us who Jesus was and what he did and why he's important, but they tell us his story, and we have four of them, four Gospels telling us the story of Jesus. Stories are important. And all of us in here, we have a story to tell. All of us whose lives have been touched and impacted by Jesus, we have experienced the work of him in our lives. We have stories to tell about the great things that He has done in our lives, and as you and I walk with God, we all have a story, and we have a story of how we became, for example, followers of Jesus, how we became disciples of Christ. You have a story of how He's answered your prayers over the years, the great things that you've seen Him do in other people's lives, how He has worked in your your heart and changed you. So, my question for you today, that I ask you to ask yourself, is What is your story what is my story what's your story when jesus sent out his disciples to go and carry on his mission which he began he told them this in acts chapter one he said the holy spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth jesus wanted them to go out and be his witnesses you know what a witness does right they just tell their story they tell what they saw what they heard what they experienced I had to go to court a few months ago. Uh, It wasn't because I committed a crime, it was because somebody in our church committed a crime, and I was a witness in this trial, right? And uh, all they wanted me to do was just tell my story. And they didn't argue with me, they didn't say, no, that's not how it happened. They just said, all right, here's your time, just tell us your story. Tell us what you saw, what you heard, how things went down. And uh, that's essentially what I had to do as a witness. And that was the commission that Jesus gave his disciples when he left. He said, just go into all the world and tell people this story. Tell people your story. Tell people God's story, the story of God's mission in this world, what he's doing, what he's been doing. And and tell the story of how God broke into your life specifically and changed everything. And you know, the interesting thing about stories, right, is that, that people can argue with what you say, about God or religion, philosophically or hypothetically, but they can't argue very much with your story, with your experience, with what's happened to you. That's why what I notice about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, when he goes around uh, and he preaches essentially, but most of his preaching when he, you know, he speaks before kings and authorities, what does he do? He just tells his story, right? He tells the story about, he says, I started out as a hater of Christians. I was an enemy of Jesus Christ. And I became a Christian myself because Jesus came and just showed up in my face and knocked me down and changed my life. That was his story. He said, God found me, God intervened in my life and everything changed. And you and I, right, we are called to be witnesses in the same way. We're called to be faithful to tell our stories for God's glory. I would even go so far as to say that you and I if we we have a story and we all do since we have a story of what God's done in our lives, I would say that this is a divine or a, a holy obligation to tell those stories of God's glory. Because the stories of the great things that God has done They bring him glory. They strengthen the faith of other believers. And we should be telling those stories over and over and over. If you think about the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, you remember that um, each of the three servants was entrusted with a certain number of talents, which was amount of money, by the king. And they were responsible to be stewards of these coins or these monies. And the king came back from his journey and he asked uh, these servants to give an account of what they had done with what had been entrusted to them. And the first one, of course, had used his talents wisely and he got more talents. The second one had done the same. But the third one had just put his talents in the ground and had done nothing with them. And he told the master, he said, I was just afraid of you because uh, I was scared that I would mess it up. So I just did nothing. I just put it in the ground and left it there. And one of the points of this parable is that God wants us to use those things which he has given us for his purposes, for his glory, for his mission to seek and save the lost. And he will call us to account for how we use those things. And I believe that our stories of the great things that God's done in our lives, these are these are falling into the category of talents as well you know uh, it would be wrong for us to just bury these things to bury these stories and not use them for his purpose and his mission so let me tell you some stories Uh, last January so I have three kids right one of them is adopted he was a a foster kid that we've had in our household for a few years and we just adopted him and uh, just finished the process real recently Um, then I have a four-year-old son and a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So in January last year, my daughter was born there in Agger, and the day that she was born, everything was was going great with our with Rosemary's pregnancy. It was actually one of those things I'm sure you've had that kind of experience, right? Where you just had like she just had such an easy pregnancy, and everything was just going so smooth that it was almost a little daunting. Like this is a little too smooth. Something's got to mess up here. And uh, the day that uh, our daughter was born, uh, there were, everything was fine. And my wife went into labor naturally. But at one point, her contractions went from being nine minutes apart to being like uh, two minutes apart. And my wife could feel that there was something wrong with the baby. The baby was panicking in her tummy. And uh, so we rushed to the hospital. And at that moment, I mean, at that point, we still thought things were okay. They took my wife into the room to examine her and get her ready, and the next thing I know, the doctor just comes running out of the uh, out of that department. I, I had to stay out in the hallway, and so he comes running out the door, and uh, he was like freaked out, and he's like yelling at people and running around. And the only thing he said to me is, he said, "There's a problem with the baby," and that was all I heard. And the next couple minutes, uh, 20, 30 people ran into that room where my wife had been. And and what had happened is that the baby hadn't gotten oxygen for some time. She had been suffocating. And there were some other complications as well. They couldn't find a heartbeat. And that day, I had to wait for like four hours just to find out whether or not my baby was even alive. Finally, the doctor came and told me, yeah, she's alive. But she said, there's a good chance that your daughter's not going to live through the first 24 hours. And even if she does, it's almost certain that she's going to have lifelong disabilities. Because she went for without oxygen for a long time. And they said she has suffered brain damage. So they took our daughter to Budapest in a special ambulance. And she was in a coma. They were keeping her alive with machines. And uh, she was actually in critical condition for a week. And during that time, they did a blood test, and they found this enzyme in my daughter's blood that indicated brain damage. Uh, Normal level of this enzyme, for example, would be 25 count. Uh, Our daughter's level was 1,500. And so they said that with a level like that, there was a good chance that if she ever woke up out of the coma, that she would uh, likely be vegetative. And um, all we could do was pray, you know. We asked everyone we could possibly ask to pray for her. We used the internet and sent stuff out, and I know that some of you know that already because you did pray for her, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, A few weeks ago, we had a couple visit our church in Agar, and we had never met them before, but as we got to talking, uh, he said, oh, hey, I know who you are, right? He said, you're the one with the daughter who was sick. He said, "We, we got emails about that. We were praying for you. And I was able to say, yeah, that's my daughter. She's right there playing with all the other kids. Uh, To make a long story short, my daughter survived that first 24 hours. Um, There was one day specifically when she totally turned around where her condition just got a lot better. And we had to do therapy with her for for months to develop her brain uh, because she had suffered brain damage. She was in this developmental neurology department in Budapest. And uh, when she was eight months old, they told us that she was no longer sick, which was an amazing thing for us. We couldn't believe it. We were just praising the Lord, as you can imagine. And all the doctors and nurses, they were—they kept saying that this is a miracle, that this kind of thing doesn't happen. They said when she came into the hospital, she had been the baby in the worst condition in the entire country, and uh, and that she got better to the point of actually having no symptoms. They said this is a miracle. They said this must be God. She had five different doctors who treated her, and each of them said, you know, it must be God because this isn't, what usually happens and on her first birthday we had a big party for her you know that was a big milestone for us and people came from america people came from all over hungary and even the head doctor of the neonatal intensive care unit at the uh, university hospital in budapest that's like the top hospital where our daughter was he came to this party he's kind of like a a big deal and they said you know he said that her story was so special to him that he had to come out to agar for her birthday party so God healed her and three months ago we went to Budapest and we took Felicia that's her name we took her to the neurologist for the last time ever which was amazing and they declared her to be totally healthy and they told us that we never need to bring her back again which is awesome you know it's amazing and that is a story that's ours to tell of God's glory and that's the story that we tell to everybody believe me I tell the people at the shop down the street I tell my hairdresser I tell anybody who will listen to me for more than five minutes I tell the students that I teach English to I tell them that it was God who healed this little girl and that's my story that's our story and we're gonna tell it over and over and over because that is to God's glory in first er, first Chronicles Chapter 16, David says this. He says this from verse 8. He says, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and he says this, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praise to him, and tell of all his wondrous works. He says glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice seek the Lord and his strength seek his presence continually listen to this he says remember the wondrous works that he has done his miracles the judgments he has uttered sing to the Lord all the earth tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nation his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory which is due to his name. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Again and again in this song of David, David is saying, Tell. Tell of his wondrous works. Remember the miracles he's done and bring glory to God by telling everyone. Declare it to the nations so that they will glorify the Lord as well so that all will see that he, is Lord and, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. That's what I'm talking about. Stories are important. Tell your story for God's glory. That's my message for you today. When I was in the U.S. last fall, we were here in September, um, I prayed for a woman who had a brain tumor who was going to have brain surgery the next day. So this woman is one of my parents' neighbors, and uh, they heard that I was a pastor. The woman's a believer, and she, they asked me to come and pray for her, right? So the next day, uh, so we, we went and prayed for her, my wife and I, and some other people as well. The next day, we're at my parents' house, and, and there's this knock on the door, right? So we prayed for her on Sunday. Surgery was scheduled for Monday, Monday morning. So there's this knock on the door. We're just watching TV and hanging out. And, uh, and it was this woman that I prayed for the day before. And we were pretty surprised to see her because, you know, brain surgery is not usually like, uh, okay, we had brain surgery, now you can just drive home and... <laughs> Do some, have a barbecue or something. You know what I'm saying? You don't just have the outpatient surgery. You don't just go home and walk around. So she came to tell us what had happened to her at the hospital. She had gone into the hospital. They were preparing her for surgery. And this is the interesting thing. They even shaved part of her head where they were going to cut her. And, uh, and literally, I mean, part of her hair was shaved off. And right before they gave her the anesthetic to knock her out, the doctor came in and stopped him and said that he just did the MRI, and it showed that the tumor had shrunk and that she did not need surgery anymore, which was amazing. Right? And the doctor said that kind of thing doesn't happen with this tumor that she had. He, he had given her no hope that this was going to get any better. And uh, he couldn't explain it. And to this day, almost a year later, that tumor is, uh, is, hasn't grown back. That's her story. That's a story that she can tell over and over to the glory of God. We have a church blog. We, uh, we have a blog that's written by a woman in our church. Her name's Agi. You know, it, there's not a lot of literature in Hungarian for, for Christians and for, about Bible stuff and testimonies and stuff. So we have a church blog, and it's viewed by quite a few people in the country. And she wrote an article a few months ago about her earthly father and about how she experienced the true love of a father when she came to know the Lord. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, that she told her story of what God had done in her life. And I know there are many people who would say, well, my story is not that great, right? My story is kind of boring, in fact. Nothing special has ever really happened to me. I'm not sure I ever experienced a miracle, you know? You you feel like my testimony is pretty weak, you know? I didn't, I didn't, ever like do drugs and like shoot them into my eyeballs and like live in a trash can you know what I'm saying I just they're like I just grew up in a Christian family and I told they told me the gospel and I just believed it and I went to church all the time and that's all that's boring right but that's your story and that's an important story that's a very important story you know why because it shows people that it's not just the the super crazy ultra bad people who need Jesus because I don't know if you've ever been around, you know, you're around church and sometimes you hear these testimonies like, yeah, like my whole head was blown off, but now it's back because I believe in Jesus. you know, Or like, oh, I, I cut off both of my arms and they grew back, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's like, then you get this feeling that if you don't have like a crazy testimony, that you should just sit there and not say anything. You don't have anything to talk about. That's the point. It's not just these super crazy, ultra bad people who need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus, even the the so-called normal people, right? Even the so-called good people. They need a Savior just the same. And maybe you would say, man, my story is not boring. My story is just a story of failure. Maybe you say, I've made some big mistakes. you say, I started walking with God, but then I, I messed it up. I made some big mistakes, and I am not an example to follow. I don't want to tell anybody my story, you know. But I don't know, have you ever, like, read the Bible? Because that's kind of what it's all about. A lot of scoundrels in the Bible, man. And the Bible's full of people who were imperfect. It's full of stories of people who walked with God and then made huge mistakes and had huge failures and sins. And those stories are important because they show us that God forgives. They show us that God redeems. They show us that God restores. And they show us that God is patient, and he is loving, and he never gives up on us. And he remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. One last story. There was a woman in our church. Uh, she was raised in a Christian home. She's, uh, she's probably in her mid-40s now. Uh, As she had grown up, you know, she had attended church. She went to university, met a a great Christian guy. He was studying to become a pastor at a seminary there in Hungary. And uh, they got married, had some kids, you know, three kids. He became a pastor. They moved out to this town. He pastored uh, a circuit of churches. And, uh, you know, everything looked great from the outside. And after they had been married for many years, like I think 13 or 14 years, she sinned. And uh, she left her husband. There was another man, and uh, and her husband lost his position as pastor. It was a big mess. It was sad. It was painful. And one of her kids, who was a teenager at the time, started attending our church. And this woman started showing up at the church sometimes as well. And she never wanted to be involved. She just uh, she didn't even want to talk to anyone. She would just come in, sit down. She just wanted to hear God's word and go home. But over time, God began to heal her, and he began to restore her. And the kindness of the Lord led her to repentance. And she began this process of healing and restoration. And and she heard the message of God's grace and forgiveness. And I remember when she finally took communion, after after so many years of attending our church, and always saying no, you know, because there we pass it around and and she would always say, no, I'm not taking communion. But there, I remember that day when she finally took communion. And uh, it was the first time after years that she had gone down this path of sin and walking away from the Lord. It was her way of saying, finally, that she was ready to accept God's forgiveness and restoration in her life. And it was a beautiful thing. And I always tell our church that same message, that it's so important that they would share their stories of God's work in their lives, even if their story is imperfect, because that glorifies Him. And so this woman gave her testimony in our church a few months ago. And she told us, she told us, probably none of you even realized it the whole time I've been attending church here. But God has been doing a miracle in my life over these past few years. Uh, She told us how she had sinned because she thought that she would be happier that way. And then she talked about the consequences of her sin and how she had had to deal with it. And then she told us about how she had been studying the word of God with us in the church. And for the first time in her life, after 40-something years of attending church, for the first time in her life, she understood the message of God's grace. That it's not about what she has to do for him, it's not about her performance, but it's about what he has done for her on the cross of Calvary. And she told us about how she found true freedom and restoration in Christ. And that God had pursued her, the sheep, the one lamb who had wandered away from the flock, God had pursued her and had brought her back to himself. And I always tell our church that it's so important that we all have a story for God's glory and we have a responsibility, a divine obligation to share it. Her story is essentially one of a failure, but it is one of God's faithfulness. And that brings him so much glory. 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's a story that brings God glory. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself today, what is your story? What has been your experience with God? What testimony do you have to share? And I would encourage you to share your stories about God's work in your life. Tell them every time you get the chance. Tell them over and over and over. Those stories bring glory to God. They tell of his greatness. They tell of his majesty. They tell of his work. They tell of... They bear witness to the fact that he is the living God and that he is actively involved in the lives of people today, that he does indeed care. And that is how you will be a witness to him in the places where he has placed you. That is how you will bring glory to his name in a practical way. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your grand story of redemption, and we thank you that, Lord, you have redeemed us and called us to yourself. Lord, we thank you that as we walk with you, we just have more and more stories to tell of your greatness and your glory and your work and your majesty. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord. I'm convinced that As we step out in faith, as we walk with you, we will have more and more stories to tell for your glory. So I pray, Lord, give us faith to walk with you. Give us faith to step out in obedience and following you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name.